Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, how to get 20, 20, 20, how to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So, Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom. Like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Hey, Dave. Yeah, Randy. Since we founded Bombas, we've always said our socks, underwear, and T-shirts are super soft. Any new ideas? Maybe sublimely soft. Or disgustingly cozy. Wait, what? I got it. Bombas. Absurdly comfortable essentials for yourself. And for those facing homelessness. Because one purchased equals one donated. Wow, did we just write an ad? Yes. Bombas. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. Join us for a journey. As we go back to the great civilizations of the past, who were the people? What were they like? How did they begin and how did they end? Let's find out on episode 96, the 660s BC, part one of four. Here we are again. This time it's the 60s. Yes, the 60s. The the dawning of the age of Aquarius. The Beatles and the Stones and the whole British invasion. The Vietnam War. And the world almost came to an end with the Cuban Missile Crisis. Hippies! Yeah. How about miniskirts and JFK? Oh. And a man on the moon. Yeah. My favorite is the Summer of Love, which is actually the same year one of us was born anyway. Oh, (laughs) That would be me. But you you weren't born in the 660s no, BC, were you? No, not the 660s BC. That was the 1960s. Oh, got me again. Yeah, I did, got you again. We're in the 660s BC. And um, let's see how many names I could totally destroy with my pronunciation this time. I, I've been practicing, so... We are pushing this joke pretty far, but will you, when we get to the 610s, <laughs> uh, will the joke be about uh, the 2010s or the 1910s? Oh, that's a good question. We'll have to put that out to the fans. Yeah, you, you decide fans, <laughs> or, or listeners at least. I don't know if you have any fans. <laughs> yes, well, the listeners, yes. Yeah, maybe we should introduce ourselves as well. I am Dan, the original fan of history. And I am Bernie. I am a fan of the fan of history and a new um, co-host and researcher with Dan. And also a kind of real historian compared to me, who's just a guy who likes to talk. I guess. I mean, I went to uh, Penn State, a history degree. You know what? First of all, you remind me of my professors, though, who used to know everything, like a just... um. A wealth of knowledge, just having it inside. And then also, since I graduated, there's been so much new things, like things that I knew that were standardly thought from doing the research from here is just um, so many different things, which is like 
A new podcast I've been listening to is History in the Bible with Gary Stevens. He's an Australian. And since the 90s, biblical studies have been so many things, archaeology, the, the Red Sea Scrolls, those kind of things. So, like, everything is just new. So, history, even though it's old, keeps changing what we know about it. I also like to add that your research has been so good that when I did the original research for the series, you have discovered so many things that I didn't find back then. So, this is new to me, too. You know, and, it, you know, I'm glad you mentioned that because when I was in college, I had to go to the library and go to the basement and maybe look at microfilm. And now I'm, I could sit in my room, go on the Internet, and I'm, I'm literally like reading Herodotus. You know, I'm reading Assyrian translations from, I mean, it's amazing. Yeah, I also have to mention current events here because we are uh, Stockholm. It's the hardest hit uh, city in Sweden from the coronavirus. And uh, we are now discussing different uh, measures like the measures taken in Italy. This is recorded on March 11th, 2020. Uh, right now, I'm thinking that I, I reflected on the fact that my life as a podcaster is pretty much a voluntary corona uh, isolation. So I could get so much work done if the city shuts down. Everybody stay at home like in Italy right now. Yeah. It's crazy. So, so different but, uh, here. I mean, that we're, if, you know, all historians find this. I mean, in, in the U.S., it's so different. It's a, it become a political thing. Like, if you're on one side, you don't even believe in the coronavirus. Oh, it's God. unbelievable. That could be dangerous. It's, you can't believe it. And, but, um, we're supposed to have a huge parade this weekend in Scranton, Pennsylvania. And they not, they did not cancel it as of yet. So we'll see. Uh, well, I, I did think about starting a pandemic podcast huh. years ago. I've been having this thought. And I talked to somebody in January about it, but it sort of hasn't gotten off its feet yet. But um, uh, one, uh, a couple of nations during the Black Death decided that it was uh, an honor to die in the Black Death. So they took no precautions. Oh, how about that? And one day I will podcast about the Black Death and other pandemics. It's an utterly fascinating I subject. Concur. Right now. Of course, we hope that the coronavirus will will find a vaccine soon, and uh, it will not be as uh, do as much damage as SARS did, right? Back in or the, day. the Black Death, or forbid everything as much as the Spanish flu did, right? Because that is the worst pandemic that has hit uh, the world uh, in uh, numbers of millions deaths yes. in in the last two hundred years. Mm, I know. Uh, we also have um, uh, what's his name in English? Smallpox. Oh, sure, smallpox. Most Highest, the deadliest disease in world history, 500 million dead. Killed all the American natives, the Indians. Yeah. Okay, let's skip the yeah. pandemics now and go back to the 660s BC where nobody ever had any no, disease. never. <laughs> never. So um, I listened to the last podcast too. And then, you know, as I'm doing this research, sometimes I know I say something and then, look, I found something different. And then, so I did miss a couple of cool things. I hope we can just do a little housekeeping. Of course, we want to get things yes, right. We want to get them right. And there were, you know, I didn't just, if I found one little thing, but these were bigger things. Like, um, in 671, there was a lunar eclipse. And if you recall, Ezra Haddon was, you know, really big on the moon because he had that skin rash. And so can yeah. you imagine how that must have freaked him out having a lunar eclipse? Yeah. How often do those things happen? I mean, I don't know for sure. I haven't, I've seen a couple happen nearby during my lifetime, I think. I mean, if he had a massive skin rash at the time and then he had that, you wow. know. Yeah. I'm pretty sure that could have been when he, one of the times where he did the, uh, substitute king ritual as well, because maybe there was, a, you know, that. And there, there was another cool little event that I found from the time. Um, it was called, 
a multi-radional occlude, which is an extreme solar proton event. And it's only the third oh. such event ever documented. I mean, I know you know a lot about cosmos. Do you know? Can you explain that any better? I don't know about multi-radionuclide uh, <laughs> evidence for extreme solar proton events. So, no, we have to leave that to a listener to sort yes. it out. But uh, my biggest question is, is this something you notice? Yeah, they, there's like uh, lights in the sky. That I, re I did read about. There's lights in the sky and, you know, things like that. So, oh my God, poor Esar right, Haddon. Right, that's the point. Is that, Could you imagine? This guy must have just... Uh, oh my God. Right? And then, you know, we talked a lot about it's coming, the battle between Syria and Egypt. And then, you know, we said, oh, they had the battle. And, you know, I bet a lot of people were thinking, well, how'd the battle go? You know, people like to hear about that kind of thing. You know, we read about Alexander the Great's battles or these Roman battles, what happened, but we didn't really say anything. Yep. So I thought, well, I'll go look that up. Well, there isn't anything. And not only that, there really isn't anything about how Syrian open field battles went. Like, it's almost the holy grail of Syrian history to try to figure out what were these battles like. I think I made a point earlier about that they kept this secret intentionally. Huh? That they didn't speak about the battles because they didn't want to reveal their tactics. That's a good possibility. It's just my personal theory. Well, I, I, I'd love to hear your personal theories on it, too. Because I wonder how they actually went. I, I read that a lot of them, they were just sort of the way they, they all kind of did it the same way. You know, there was not really an Alexander the Great or a Napoleon of Assyria that was, you know, just a master strategist. And the Assyrians yeah. were bigger, stronger, they're veterans, that kind of thing. They have better weapons. Yeah. Better armor. So I think they're, yeah, they're mostly just one. And when they didn't win, they silenced the sources. Yeah, exactly. I saw there was, um, they recently found, uh, the reliefs. You know how they had the reliefs in the, in, in Nineveh, in the palaces? They dug yep. some up in Iraq. They, they found them in irrigation canals. So they're everywhere. And there's this, yep. so that's true. But there is this really little known one where, The Assyrians are like working their forearms and their calves. Cause do you ever, do you ever see the, the reliefs? I mean, the Assyrians have like the biggest forearms and the biggest calves compared to their enemies. So maybe that was hard. <laughs> oh, okay. We win because our superior yeah, forearms. Our superior and calves. forearms. But seriously, they, they do look like they were stronger. But like my thing is like, how would the battle, how would it go? Did they char, did they shoot each other with bow and arrows or did they charge each other with swords? You know? So. It seems to be that uh, bow and arrows are the main weapons of, of the Assyrians. Right. So they like to keep the battle at a distance for until it's time to begin the slaughter. I, I agree. And um, I, I thought that for the longest time, and I still do. I just have a couple of things I'm wondering about it. Well, first of all, definitely, because you see they have these, um, they, they paired up their troops. They had spearmen, and then they had the bow and arrow guys, you know, the archers. And the Their shield carriers had these huge shields, so they were like walls. So they could, you know, move with the spear carriers and shoot the arrows, um, shoot them at mm -hmm. each other. But here's the thing. Yeah, I was thinking about the arrows. So how many arrows could a guy carry? 10, 20 arrows, let's say, in his quiver. Something like that. And then yeah. I imagine they had more arrows. And so let's say at 10,000 archers. And so then I looked up how fast could, you know, it was the English, you know, their longbowmen were famous. So you had to be able to at least shoot 20 arrows a minute. If you could only shoot 10 arrows a minute, you were considered not good. 
So imagine if you're in this battle and you have to shoot, and you could shoot even just 10 arrows a minute, and you have 10,000 of you, you literally would shoot off like 100,000 arrows. Oh, my right? God. So now, okay, now how do you make arrows? It takes a long time, right? Like, you you probably shoot a million arrows in 10 minutes. <laughs> Jesus. Right? And you know, they bring all these arrows and make out. So the only thing I can think is, too, is they, I bet you they picked up the other arrows off the ground and off the people, shot them back at each other. But just from that logistical standpoint, it couldn't have been like they were, like, with rifles, like, you know, moving around aiming at each other. They they must have, you know, had to shoot the arrows and then get moving at each other. I, I would think the chariots, you know, try to break up the lines. And, and do things like that? I think, I think the uh, chariot warfare is uh, a very debated question. The Ancient Warfare podcast, uh, which is a very interesting podcast, has a lot about... Uh, they, they even sort of believe that chariot warfare was never really a thing. That uh, chariots were mainly status symbols and used to intimidate and maybe run people down after the battle. Mm-hmm. But the chariots in themselves were so easily defeated, they could never had any practical use on the battlefield. I recommend that I podcast, will check that Ancient out, History sure. Warfare. Uh, I think also the, the English longbows are far superior weapons to the ones the Assyrians had. And I also think the, the Assyrians had a lot of mounted archers. So yeah, was, I think we're talking about much smaller bows here. For sure. And it's still that same issue with all the arrows. I know also that the um, uh, the Parthians had troops that were dedicated to just carrying arrows and delivering arrows to the archers. They had to. Yeah, maybe the Assyrians had something similar, like arrow boys. And, um, absolutely. And then picking up arrows, because even still, I mean, just you would at least need a million arrows just to go into a first battle. Yeah. And then, to make you know, how they make arrows is like... Well, I just want to talk about real quick because it's cool, I found. So you would think you'd take a tree and cut it down and shave it into little arrows. But what they probably, there's certain trees when you cut them down, you know how they grow little sticks up? So that's what they would use to make arrows. So, Oh, so you have like arrow plantations. Yeah. yeah. And then you need a lot of feathers. Anyway, you need a lot of arrows. But if you do, we were saying about the chariots. Remember, um, is it Sargon? Sargon, remember in that one, he was, uh, he was, um, tired. His troops were tired and he said he crashed his, his chariot into the. Yeah. So I, I think they probably still kind of moved around on their chariots and try to break up the formations with them. But I mean, Alexander the Great figured out how to take, deal with that. But so like, I would think that they still use chariots and arrows in the Middle East at this time, the Near East, I should say, because if somebody like Alexander had figured out, you know, to get spearmen and pikemen like that, they probably would have. So. Yes. Anyway, so I would think that when they went into Egypt there, the Assyrians were tougher, they had bigger forearms, they had better armor. One size fits all seemed like a good idea for clothes. Nice dress. Uh, it's a it's a t-shirt. Until you tried it on. Same goes for your healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers a variety of flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. So whether you're between jobs, coming off a parent's plan, or even missed open enrollment, you can find the plan that fits you best. Find out more about United Healthcare coverage at UH1.com. That's UH1.com. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. 
They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. You know, they had their arrows and they had their veteran troops and iron weapons. And iron weapons, for sure. Notoriously uh, a thing that uh, the Egyptians lacked. Yes, and I found out that too. I blurred a little thing. So the deal was with the why they didn't have as much iron. It was not only the mines, because they could have got ore and stuff, but they didn't have enough trees to work the iron. Because they oh. needed to burn down trees and make them into charcoal and then work the iron. Yeah. So that was another issue. So they were... And oh, another last thing with the arrows is um, Egyptian word for Nubia was... Tai-se-te. Oh, it's called Taseti by the Egyptians, which means the land of the bow. Okay. So I, I would guess it would have been a lot of bow and arrows and charge with the spearmen and, you know, break up the formation. Sounds like a yeah. plan. <laughs> so anyway, in the 660s, I was going to sum up which of our characters are still alive. Ezra Haddon is actually still alive. Guy just... Manasseh from uh, Judah, Nakia, who was um, Ezar Haddon's mother, uh, and then back in China, Guanzong and Duke Han of Qi. If you remember those, Guanzong was the guy that was almost pickled. Of course. <laughs> and uh, I found um, the world population of this time is about 86 million. Wow, that's an exact figure. Yeah, it's um, I kind of they have them years by like every hundred years, so extrapolate. So I'll try to put that in every time. The so eighty six million okay. whole world. That's not a whole lot of people. No, that's about as many people listen to our podcast, though. <laughs> <laughs> I also found it said Nineveh may have become the largest city in the world in the six sixties. I mean, the world. The website I saw said it did. I, I didn't really find any hard evidence, but. We could say Nineveh was definitely one of the biggest cities at this time in the world. I would expect the Chinese to have bigger cities. I know, cities I thought the that. same thing. So maybe they just don't have a records of it. So uh, yeah. China isn't. But of course, the, the Assyrians did uh, focus a lot on the capital, whereas China was had probably had more than one huge city. Correct, correct. Yeah, and the, and the Assyrians, when they, when they moved populations, they did take people into Nineveh that they needed. So, yeah, forced immigration. Yeah. And they shipped, you know, that's where people were never heard of again because it was, you know, when they would say they went to Nineveh and never heard of again, it was because it was so crowded. They just couldn't find them. <laughs> <laughs> so, but yeah, China's in the spring and autumn period. And that goes from 722 to 479, though. So I'm, I won't bring that up every time, but just get an idea where we are in the world. Yeah. I'm stuck on this uh, SR Head on the inscription here. Where you at? In the script. Where you at? Uh, how do I relate to you? In the beginning of the script, there is an Esarhaddon inscription on nothing on the actual battles in Egypt. Oh, okay, yeah. But found this. Can I read Please. it? Uh, we had a mention of the battle between uh, Assyria and Egypt on a prism of Esarhaddon, 
but only on the third day. And Esarhaddon says the following. I, Esarhaddon, king of Assyria, the forehead of my troops, went behind their great divinity. With their strong aid, I rushed like the onset of a raging storm onto their midst. I shattered their battle array. I overpowered his troops, his generals, his brothers, his governors, and his drivers. From Ithupri to Memphis, a journey of fifteen days. At the command of Ashur, I deployed daily, without interruption, my battle array, and fought against them. I butchered their heroes like sheep, who had fled before my terrible weapons. They brought out before the gate Taharka, king of Kush, to save his servants. You knew it the best. <laughs> we also have the Sen Yearly Monument that uh, has another description, also spoken by Esar Heddon, I think. Yeah, you should read it. On the troops of Taharka, the king of Egypt and Kush, the accursed of their great god, I caused a great massacre. From Ithupri, as far as his residence, Memphis, a distance of 15 days... Daily without interruption, five times I hit him with the point of my arrow, inflicting on him an incurable wound. I laid siege to his residence, Memphis, and conquered it in half a day by means of mines, breaches, and assault ladders. I destroyed, devastated, and burnt it with fire. Yes, I don't think Yasser Hedon was that cool. No. <laughs> but he got, he got the Ashenasipal voice yes, anyway. Yes, he did. He he at least went. He did go to the, you know, he actually did go to Egypt. We know. Yeah, when somebody else did the massacre. Oh, for sure. For sure. He was on his chariot marching, you know, parading himself around. And then we know of three fierce battles in June and July of 671. Yeah, and that's what I mean. We really didn't know how they fought them, you know. So that's why I was saying, like, how did how did maybe go? You know, like... I imagine they lined up their battle arrays and they shot their arrows at each other, thousands and thousands of them. I think that the that they creeped forward with their shield bearers, you know, and that the chariots probably yeah. flew around and tried to break it up. And, and then they say in ancient warfare, like if the everybody, when there's a massacre, that means that the other people broke and fled, and that's when they massacre them. So, I mean, the Egyptians must have, you know, they broke them, and that was it. I think the Assyrians must have had an enormous advantage in their discipline and uh, the fact that they were this feared empire that had already won so many battles, whereas the Egyptians were not as battle-hardened yeah. and not as experienced. Yeah, I mean, some. I mean, Taharka beat him a few times, we think, you know, but like he, like you said, he probably didn't have the battle-hardened veterans, which is <laughs> funny. Remember, I had a boxing match, right? Since we did our last podcast, I had my fight. You saw me get how many times I got punched in the face. <laughs> yes. Well, I didn't fall down, but at least I, you know, I got punched in the face a lot of times. But I mean, that first punch in the face, that's like, wow, I wasn't, you know? So if you're used to that, that's different than when you're not used to it. I'm going to put it that way. We should tell the listeners this story in more detail because you, you actually decided to have a boxing yeah. match for the first time in your life. Yes. You trained for it. You fought bravely. Bravely. Like like Taharka, perhaps. <laughs> nice. <laughs> but, the, but the other guy was a Syrian. <laughs> I know. <laughs> the other guy was, yeah, he was, well, you know, I starting at my age, I think, I'm in decent shape, but 
I didn't do that as a young person. And a lot of the guys, even if I box with the older guys, they, you know, if you did something when you're a kid, it's different. You know, you just sort of have that muscle memory for it. So and you're used to it. This guy was a Turkish guy, too. And um, I mean, he just guy first shot. He made a right right in the nose. And I was like, oh, man, this is real. And uh, I mean, I spar before I hit in the nose before. But I would, it reminds me of that's why I did it so that our listeners would I would understand battle better. So you'd take personal yeah. sacrifices for the podcast. I, I appreciate You're that. You're welcome. I mean, You're a brave thank man. Thank you. You know, I mean, obviously it's not the same as warfare. It's uh it's just a glimpse of it though, you know, two people standing face to face just really trying to kill each other. You know, really Yeah, of course it would be different if both had weapons. It would totally be different. But then there you go. So that's a good point because there's the we have different advantages, right? So we're matched evenly with even weapons, but imagine you're a Syrian and now you have body armor on better than, you know, you look at pictures of Nubians, they're always in loincloths with bow and arrows. That's what they showed, you know, images from from, from the time. And the Assyrians, we know they had helmets and, and body armor and shields. And I mean, that makes a difference. If I, imagine if I went into that fight with the face mask on and body, you know, you know, the boxing thing. I mean, I could be, yeah. you know, impervious to shots and just keep hitting them. So that definitely makes a difference. I, yeah. I think the Assyrians also had a very valuable experience in walking around in armor in the desert, which is something they had done so many times. For sure. So other outside enemies in Egypt would be destroyed by the heat, but the Assyrians know the heat and can handle right. it. Right. And we're yeah, and they're wearing the armor in it, where the other people in, in the desert there were, you know, Libyans and and probably they weren't wearing armor like that either, and especially they didn't have iron, so where would they have much armor? We also probably should mention that the Egyptians maybe did not consider the Assyrians the enemy as much as the Nubians did, because they were already occupied by Nubians right. who were doing a very good job at seeding Egyptian. But maybe the Egyptians realized that, uh, okay, maybe it's not as bad, or not that bad if the Assyria occupies us instead of Nubia. We're still occupied. Yeah. We better just survive. Yeah. So maybe they didn't show up when Taharka called for them. Yeah, true. And why bother, that kind of thing. We have a story of a small-scale confrontation. Yes. From uh, Commanding Officer Bel Ibni. Yes. You want me to talk about that one? Or it's you got a, it? Oh, it's a, in a letter to Ashurbanipal, so that's a sort of a spoiler. But uh, in the course of a military operation in the March regions at the extreme south of Babylonia, this is just details how the Assyrians operated. There were 150 Assyrian soldiers, and they were ambushed just outside of enemy territory. The hostile forces were 400 men. So these 150 Assyrian soldiers felt that, um, oh, we will probably die here. So they prepared for the confrontation by executing 130 soldiers they had taken captive in a previous encounter. And then they proclaimed in the face of this precarious situation, should we die, we will die with a supreme name. And then they won. They were victorious. They killed 17 and wounded 60 or 70 men. And then the enemy troops had enough of Assyrian violence. Twenty of the Assyrian soldiers suffered injuries. And although some may have survived their battle wounds, others will certainly have died. But the Assyrians notoriously bad at uh, telling us when they had setbacks. Yeah. So they don't mention their own deaths. You know, it kind of reminds you of like even like modern troops and you know American troops or European troops in other countries where they're better armed and better supplied you know they could have a few guys or like the spanish in 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 the new world you know it was just a few nights we were able to take on so many people 
or the U.S. forces in Yemen or Somalia today, where they just use drones. Yeah, right. I mean, that's the thing. Okay, back to the story. Back to the story. Oh, we have a new segment. Yeah. We're going to do Hesiod and Homer quotes. Mm-hmm. Whoa. This was Dan's Each idea. we start a new episode. It is. Remember? Oh. Good idea by me. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I, 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 you emailed me a while ago. Let's do this in every episode. So that's, um, I thought it was a great idea. God, I have such great ideas that I forget <laughs> about them. I do a podcast about this unsold murder of the Swedish prime minister. Yeah. And after 34 years, now the new, uh, God, I'm lacking the English word. What's the uh, opposite to a defense attorney? Uh, oh, that would be the prosecuting attorney. Yeah, the prosecutor. Uh, in this 34-year-old investigation, it's the biggest unsold murder investigation in the yeah. world, count, in the world history, counting the number of man hours spent on the investigation and the number of documents without an official solution. Suddenly, in February, uh, talked to the media and said, uh, well, uh, I had this figured out. I will present the solution before the 1st of July of 2020. Wow. And as I do the leading podcast on this murder... I have uh, had a lot of work with that podcast. It grew by 600%. And I got to go on TV shows and stuff talking about this murder. I still don't know what the prosecutor is going to present. But uh, the the interest for that podcast has become enormous. You are definitely the one of the most famous men in Sweden right now. (laughs) I wouldn't say that. But but he is the prosecutor (laughs) for sure. Uh, So that's why I forgot about this. But now we're doing Hesiod and Homer quotes. Well, you could steal a couple of my quotes. All right. Uh, I am doing this quote then. This is from Hesiod. Do not let the flattering woman coax and wheedle you and deceive you. She is after your barn. <laughs> and you have lost barns yeah. to women, haven't yeah, I've you? I've lost two barns, air quotes, two houses anyway. I have two divorces, so... I don't think they were after my barn, well, actually, but I don't, have them, I don't have them anymore. <laughs> That's why we have prenuptial agreements. Yeah. Yes. Which I had, so I kept my I house. I had it too, but actually the house was, <laughs> she had the house, so. Oh, she was, so it was her <laughs> house. Yeah, sort of, it's a long story. So you were trying to steal her barn. I was trying barn. to steal her barn. And look, I was trying to, she'll never listen to this podcast, so <laughs> it was, I kind of felt like I was living in a barn. That's why I had to get out of there. <laughs> <laughs> Are you, uh, will you do the second yes, quote? Yes, and I tell you, I, I don't know if this could be real, but it's still funny. Bacteria, the only culture some people have. I found that from a quote from Hesiod. I don't know they knew what bacteria was, but... I think what they consider to be bacteria is not the same thing as we uh, consider to be bacteria, but I think there was a, a bacteria the theory. Well, or like mold or something. Uh, uh, something gotcha. like that. And now it's time for Homer, yeah. the famous blind uh, storyteller. We will talk more about him uh, and his history later. Homer says, everything is more beautiful because we are doomed. You will never be lovelier than you are now. We will never be here again. I don't know why Homer sounded so different than he said, but that's what I'm going with. <laughs> Great yeah, quote. That is a good one. And then here's one I, I like from him is that, uh, to be loved, you have to be nice to people every day. But to be hated, you don't have to do anything. Good quote. Well, there is a reason these two vice guys have been uh, remembered till this date. So I did talk about them little in the early, um, when I talked about early Greek 
writings, and we'll get back to them. Okay. Maybe. I am definitely fascinated. I would love if we did a special episode sometime about that, because the, um, there's a website and a group called the Luvian Studies, and they, they have a whole theory on that, you know, who the Sea Peoples are and what the Trojan War was about and everything. It's very interesting. We, we might do a couple of special episodes. We have actually have two episodes coming up where you and I go out and interview people yes. uh, who have special skills. Because I have... Uh, gotten into contact with an old friend who turned out to now be an uh, archaeologist who is specialized in 1000 BC in Scandinavia wow. and North Germany. So I'm looking forward to that. And you also had an interesting thing. Coming yes, up. I'm going to um, I'm going to do a joint podcast with Gary Stevens from the History in the Bible. This this era that we're doing is actually this is kind of when a lot of the Bible got started. They're the written as we know it. You know, the stories of patriarchs and Noah and, yep. you know, the, and, and a lot of that was found. Some of that was done in the six, uh, the 600s BC. And it's kind of interesting when you think about it because Homer wrote around this time and that it was about a time, you know, the Bronze Age, the Bronze Age collapse. The Bible is about the stories are about that kind of a time. You know, it's like these stories are sort of, how would I put it? They're, they're doing their creation stories in this era, thinking back about the past. Interesting. Yeah. I'd love to hear more about that. Yeah. Of course, we can't promise you that we will do this no. episode, but that's the plan, the plan right now. right now, for sure. I mean, and, you know. We also might have something special coming up for episode 100. Yes. That's your, you got that going. So, yeah, like, you know, I was, wa- I was watching the, the Hunters. It's the... Uh, it's on um, Amazon Prime now, Al Pacino, and that's set in the 1970s. And then Stranger Things, that was set in the 80s. And then Happy Days back in the day, that was set in the 70s. I'm sorry, it was set in the 50s, but it was in the 70s. So it seems like a, a common human interest or literary thing was where you talk about the past, but then you bring the present into it. You know, so when you know people might say, well, how do you know that this was written in the 600s? Maybe they did write it back then, but we know because there's current events sort of woven into it in certain way that people talk, you know, in the 600s, they didn't do in the one, you know, the 1200 BC was, was when the Trojan War was. So, yeah. like, I thought this was pretty neat, which I just found the other day. There's the scholar, his name is uh, Emile Miro, and he pointed out some lines in the Odyssey referring to um, Aegisthus. They're intended as an innuendo to Gyges, our friend Gyges. And after he killed Agamemnon, he reigned seven years over Mycenae, rich in gold, while the people were cowed under his rule. And another reference is, so Guy just used to give a lot of stuff to the oracle at Delphi, just give them gold and silver so he would get good reviews, things they want to hear. Um, so this says in the Odyssey, many thigh bones he burnt on the gods' holy altars, many precious things he cast into fire, woven stuffs and gold for success in a great enterprise which he had never expected to carry out. And that's also, they say, a reference to Gyges. And that's why there's not much about the oracle in Homer, because you know, they sort of felt it was, it was like a political thing. That's a pretty big thing, that to ignore the oracle for Homer, writing when he does. I know, I mean, right. It's sort of like ignoring the coronavirus, you know? It's like, well... Blaming it, blaming it on the Democrats. <laughs> so, Gyges was like Trump of the 600s yeah, BC. Yes, I think so. I don't know. You know, we talked about Trump again. We're not talking about that I know, because we, right. And we know Trump didn't kill the king's wife or see her naked or anything like that. 
<laughs> I love that story. <laughs> oh, My mental image is right now. Oh, dear. Yeah, okay. Back to order. Yeah, so yeah, now here we are. It's 669 B.C. We got a lot on Assyria, of course, because we got a lot of records on Assyria and Babylon. And then we have stuff from Greek Greece through this through this whole, you know, journey. Sounds good yeah. to me. Um, you, you read the. I love the way you read the the inscriptions. You want to do this one? Which oh, one? We're, we're here six sixty nine. This is so. This is from the Babylonian oh. Chronicle. Okay, so um, line thirty one. The twelfth year, that is six sixty nine, sixty eight. The king of Assyria marched to Egypt. Uh, but became ill on the way and died on the 10th day of the month Arasama. Arasama is October slash November, and it's the month where you sow broad beans and flax. So Esther Haddon died. Yeah. Yes, he did. That's, we don't know why, right? But it's probably because of sickness. Probably. Yeah. For 12 years, he ruled Assyria. He worked with uh, Sennacherib for eight years uh, before that. And then he ruled by himself for 12 years. Uh, and the text continues. That's what, that was the text said. For eight years under Sennacherib, for 12 years under Esarhaddon, 20 years altogether. Bel stayed in Assur, and the Keto festival did not take place. Nabu did not come from Borsippa for the procession of Bel. In the month Kislimu, that's November, December, there's no farming going on then. Asurbanipal, Esarhaddon's son, ascended the throne in Assyria. And here he is, Ashurbanipal himself, the guy who stands a statue in the town square, uh, the city square in uh, San Francisco. With huge forearms, too, by the way. <laughs> yes. <laughs> what we need to know the Assyrian forearm routine. <laughs> like, what did they do? All right, guys, well, that's true. That, that, we, that could probably make a big, uh, make a million dollars on that, the Assyrian, the, the Assyrian workout. Yeah, if we, if we find out, we'll do a video. Yeah, post I mean, they have the paleo diet. They got all these things. Why not have the Assyrian workout? <laughs> Assyrian workout. You end up with enormous calves and forearms. <laughs> oh, my God. Because if you, if you like, grow your other muscles, your armor won't fit you. But these are outside <laughs> That's your right. Armor, so That's better work on those. And that was the other. They did that move, probably. Like, right when they got in line against the other guy, they just whacked him with their forearm. Well, crushed their yeah. skulls. Yeah, so what happened is... um yeah, Ezra hadn't died on his way to Egypt. So after he won in um, 671, Taharqa, um, they, you know, they left. They set up some kings there, especially up because we're talking about the north. They didn't get, you know, to um, southern Egypt. I'm going to use north and south because it confuses me. North and south is yeah. good. So, yeah, Taharqa escaped uh, back to Nubia, but his family didn't. They, they captured him. They captured his family, if you remember. But by 669, he came back. And he seized control of the north up as far as Memphis. And um, so there were three rulers in the north in 669 now, too. And these guys were either installed by Ezra Haddon back then, or they came in and filled the vacuum after Taharqa came back and cleared out the Assyrians as far as Memphis. So there's conflicting uh, reports, because um, these guys were based in the Delta region mostly. And we'll get on them more later, but one guy to remember... Is spelled net like necho n e c h o, but it's pronounced either Nico or Neko. I'll probably use Neko. Um, Neko. He ruled over the city of Sais. So this is what this sounds a lot like the the Libyan dynasties uh, that they were from the Who, north. Yeah, they ruled in the delta. They were confusing. 
there was a lot of similar, uh, a lot of rulers simultaneously, etc. I, I think the Delta is, reminds me of the Delta, even like we have the Delta in Mississippi, you know, and we'll see stories about the Deltas and they're like very, you know, you can't really, the government doesn't seem to be in there very much and people go around on boats and there's crocodiles and snakes and, well, there'd be alligators here in the U.S., but I can imagine in Egypt, they're loaded with crocodiles and, you know, certain times of the year it's flooded. So I think it's, got, you know, kind of like its own area where it's hard for government to get in control and there'd probably be strong men and people in charge. So, And you could also see how Taharka as a Nubian is not very interested in this yeah. area. He wants the, the traditional yeah. uh, land of Egypt and not this weird exactly. part in the north. Exactly. So, yeah, this is why Ezra had him went back. He went back to uh, Egypt to, 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 you know, kick Taharka out again, but he died on his way. He died in Haran, which is so ironic because that is the city that was big on seeing the moon god, who Ezra hadn't always felt, had cursed him, right? So he goes his way back, he goes to Haran, and then he dies in Haran. Where is Haran? Haran is like in Syria today. Okay. Yeah. So that's, um, it's, it's a, it's a very ancient city, actually. Other gods venerated in Haran were Sin's consort, Ningal, the Syrian goddess Atargatis, and the Arabian goddess Alat, who was also associated with the moon. Yeah. They're big on the moon there. Oh, this is the place where Crassus met his end in 53 BC mm -hmm. at the Battle of Carhae. Mm -hmm. Oh, Crassus. Whoa, I can't wait to talk about him, but that's uh, a couple of uh, decades later. Than yeah, this. we'll have to go one year at a time by then if I keep putting all this stuff. Yeah, uh, that's, uh, that's in episode 531 of Final oh. History. Stay tuned. <laughs> we also had the Hebrew patriarch Abraham passed through Hanan, according to the Bible. Yeah. But that's uh, way before the Old Testament becomes a good historical source in 884, as I've spoken about many times. Yes. BC. Yes. And we probably was, you know, Abraham is a, he's a figure, you know, legendary figure, let's say. So, yeah, we don't know how Ezra hadn't died. But if he did have lupus, kidney failure is the most common way. If you um, don't treat it, that kills you. Also, a heart attack or stroke is another way. That could get you or, or maybe just one of the moon gods took him out. So this guy's giving us bad press as moon gods. We have to take him yeah, out. Yeah, spare. They just didn't like him ever. Like, oh, look, he's in our city. But it's, ugh, can't stand this guy. God, let's just <laughs> kill him. Freak moon meteorite. <laughs> or maybe a statue like, like his father. One of the mm. statues just attacked him. <laughs> That's sad. It is. It's either just after or before he died in 669, uh, Naki, Nakia, I should say, also known as Zakutu, she issued the loyalty treaty of, they call it the loyalty treaty of Nakia Zakutu to secure Ashurbanipal's succession. Uh, she ordered the court and the country to recognize her grandson as a legitimate heir. Oh, there's Asarhedon's yeah. mother again doing stuff. Yes. I will read now the treaty of Nakia Zakutu. Anyone who is in this treaty, which Queen Sakuta has concluded with the whole nation concerning her favorite grandson, Ashurbanipal, shall not revolt against your lord Ashurbanipal, king of Assyria, or in your hearts conceive and put into words an ugly scheme or an evil plot against your lord Ashurbanipal, or plot with another for the murder of your lord Ashurbanipal, king of Assyria. May Asher, Sin, Shamas, and Ishtar bear witness and curse violators of this treaty. 
But this is uh, there. There are no like gruesome details. What will happen? I don't to know. You maybe you this is this, this is in part. I imagine you just assume you're going to donkey urine and all those other terrible things. Yeah, it's just implied. Yeah. Well, actually, Gary Stevens read it in his when he was talking about the Syrian treaties because they're very close to the things in Deuteronomy. And one of them is like, if you do this, you will walk backwards like a crab for the rest of your life. <laughs> That's just irritating. <laughs> Oh, my God. This is the last we hear of Nakia. So she may have died in the 660s. We don't know. It's the last written thing we have about Nakia. Well, she was the grandmother of Sarah. So she's probably quite aged yeah. at this time. At this point, she probably is. I did say before, she reminded me of Alexander the Great's mother, Olympia. And then I just realized that I didn't get to listen to it yet. But Dan Carlin has an episode on her, on Alexander the Great's mother, Olympia. Yes, in a Hardcore History addendum, uh, because a Hardcore History comes out every... Nobody, nobody knows nobody when knows. it comes out. It comes out very rarely. The episodes are super long. So then Don Car- Dan Carlin started another podcast, Hardcore History addendum, which also does not come out. But I know. <laughs> one time it did, and then he talked about Olympia. So I, re- I heard part of the episode. Oh, so that's, a new, that's not a new one? It's an old one that he brought back? Maybe. No, oh, it's, uh, it's, uh, in the, it's just in addendum. Yeah, in the addendum. I know. I, I can understand how he gets, because this happens to me. Once I start doing the research, you just start going. I love it that you have this broken down the decades, because I don't have to get into the backstory, because it's, you know. But when you start getting into this stuff, there's just more and more information, and then people argue, you know, different opinions, and it could get long. We were coming to 668 now, but I just wanted to do a shout out to Matt McGovern, who has been a very supportive listener and Patreon of the show. So thank you, Matt. Yay, Matt. He's the best. Okay, well, that'll wrap it up for this episode. But I did want to mention that at the beginning of this episode, I called the Dead Sea Scrolls the Red Sea Scrolls. And the correct sea is the Dead Sea, not the Red Sea. Bad Bernie. Anyway, catch us for the rest of the story coming up real soon. Thanks for listening. If you enjoyed this podcast, please consider supporting us on Patreon. Patreon.com slash fan of history. Just a dollar an episode would help us out. Thanks, and see you next time. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns.